Learn how purpose-built solutions from AWS help healthcare organizations of all sizes and levels of technical expertise, accelerate innovation, and improve patient outcomes. Join us at the AWS HIMSS booth number 1041 for March 15th through 17th. Hear sessions led by AWS speakers and AWS partners and meet with AWS experts to start your digital transformation. I am excited that the cracks have been exposed in our health systems and our public health systems, and that we're showing how advanced analytics, integrated data can in fact be a powerful tool for public health. Hi, welcome to HIMSScast. I'm Kat Drosich, Senior Editor at Healthcare IT News. Given the strain on hospital resources caused by the pandemic, many informaticists have focused on the ability to try and predict patient populations. In January, researchers at the Regenstrief Institute and Indiana University found that machine learning models trained using statewide health information exchange data can actually predict a patient's likelihood of being hospitalized with COVID-19. So obviously this is an incredibly exciting study and here with me to talk about its implications are two of its lead authors. Regenstrief Institute Vice President for Data and Analytics and Regenstrief Professor of Medical Informatics at the Indiana University School of Medicine, Dr. Sean Granis, and Regenstrief Institute Research Scientist and Assistant Professor in Indiana University, Saranga Kastori. Thank you both for joining me today. Glad to be here. For having us. So for readers who are unfamiliar with this study, let's just start by talking through some of the findings. What were some of your basic outcomes? In terms of outcomes, um, we found that um, we could uh, predict patient level need of um, healthcare utilization across uh, an Indiana wide patient population with significant accuracy. That's really exciting. Uh, anything to add, Sean? This study combines, I think, two important questions right now. Number one, what is the value of machine learning and artificial intelligence in healthcare? And number two, how are uh, individuals utilizing healthcare uh, when they've experienced COVID. And so those two questions are combined here. And what we found is, like many other use cases, artificial intelligence uh, and machine learning techniques can, in fact, improve our understanding of many clinical uh, situation scenarios, including COVID. That's great. What were some of the patient characteristics that the model was drawing on in order to make these conclusions? Traditionally, we'll see a lot of machine learning models are um, very tightly restricted to demographic and diagnosis elements. Mm. Um, however, um, there's a lot more, um, well, there's much more value in incorporating a much broader spectrum of elements that consider not just the individual, but the social, there are social factors um, and uh, there are um, the impact that their environment has on them. So our approach considered a wide range of these factors, um, everything from their demographics, from their diagnosis data, their prior encounters with the healthcare system, the medications they take, um, as well as a number of uh, social determinants, mm -hmm. things like um, their education levels, their literacy, feelings of safety, housing instability. So overall, we considered a broad range that is fully ref uh, reflective of each individual. I'm wondering how tools like this might be useful for health systems and hospitals, both kind of on an individual facility level and a broader population-wide level. 
our solution um, can uh, have significant impact both at clinical level as well as population health level. Um, at the clinical level, um, it can help providers make informed decisions in terms of how to provide care. And that's very important given how burdened health systems are. Um, the machine learning solution and the prediction it generates can help inform the provider's decision-making in terms of what patients are most likely to require care and how to effectively guide their treatment. Mm. At, a at a population level, um, it will help a broader level decision-making in terms of healthcare resource utilization and hospital burden. If you're a hospital administrator or somebody who's at a county or state level, it will help you make decisions in terms of um, future healthcare requirements and how to position yourself to best meet uh, your population's needs. So why do you think it's so important to connect system-generated data with those public health decisions? Public health decision-making is driven largely and has been for the history of public health off of some sort of clinical or medical information. Mm -hmm. Public health has sort of been a secondary user of clinical data for uh, generations. In fact, um, it's interesting, most developed countries in the world, their, their CDC and their Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services are actually one um, a division. They usually call it a Ministry of Health or a Department of Health. Um, but in the United States, they're separate. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think we're now seeing through the COVID uh, pandemic, you know, COVID has shined the light on cracks in lots of different systems, including, you know, the healthcare system, the public health system. And we're recognizing that we need to do a better job of leveraging this clinical data to be able to predict population outcomes, not only the person level, but also the population population level outcomes to help inform public health decision making. So I think it's really important that we think about the power of this clinical data to inform public health uh, decision making. And in fact, in Indiana, we've been focused on a field and frankly, I think we've helped create the field of public health informatics, which is the study of data for use in public health. And much of that data is clinical data. And so public health informatics very strongly relies on a good understanding of clinical data and clinical systems. And we work very closely with our health department here in the state of Indiana. And we know that there's similar relationships across the country that are actually growing and strengthening. That's really exciting. Can we talk a little bit more about that data? Um, where does it come from and how can it be used in other kinds of research with uh, the public health informatics elements that you just discussed? In Indiana, we have one of the largest and longest running health information exchanges in the country called the Indiana Health Information Exchange. It connects over 100 hospital systems, 50,000 physicians, over 17 million unique patients. And so a significant amount of the data that we use for population and public health comes from the health information exchange, which Regan Street actually uh, created and had partnered with the Indiana Health Information Exchange to take as a service organization to provide services to the state, including notifiable case detection, including uh, public health surveillance. So that's a primary place where much of this data comes from. But during COVID, we really saw data sharing blossom mm -hmm. in that the state 
actually wanted to share data with the information exchange and the information exchange shared more data with the state so that both had the same uh, situational awareness view so that the health information exchange could provide that COVID situational awareness to the physicians, to the healthcare providers, and public health could provide situational awareness to the public health officials and the state decision makers. So um, the information exchange, we can't understate the importance and value of being able to integrate data across many different locations and sources. Absolutely. I do think that the COVID-19 pandemic made it clear how fragmented a lot of our systems are in terms of data sharing and how useful it can be to get that visibility at the same time. And so I think there is a lot of exciting applications with data sharing, but of course, there are also the hurdles that come with data sharing. Um, so that's something that remains to be seen. I, I did want to make sure I asked about biases evident in your model. I know that in your paper, you mentioned them specifically. And I'm wondering if you could talk to listeners a little bit about what some of those biases were and how you hope to address them and how others who are trying to develop similar models might address other kinds of biases in the process as well. Um, definitely. So um, there have been significant interest and you know awareness of the need to um, identify biases within machine learning models. Mm -hmm. um, as we all know, machine learning models are basically garbage in, garbage out. If you give them bad data, bad results come out. In, in, you know, in many situations, you know, it is possible that the data we are using for the machine learning activity um, has been influenced by biased or harmful behavior. Hmm. Um, alternatively, um, the variations that we are seeing may be caused due to disparities and unequal access to care. So it might be intentional harm versus not direction, directly intentional harm. Traditionally, when machine learning is applied, um, we look at predictive performance across the overall population. Um, you don't see a lot of machine learning uh, uh, models, you know, you don't see many researchers going back and systematically looking at how the model performs across uh, stratified subpopulations. Mm -hmm. So given that we were using very well-established, um, widely uh, followed machine learning approaches to train our model and to evaluate its performance, we want to understand how the model would perform across um, specific subsets of the population. So not just race, but also in terms of age, um, gender, income level, and urban rural status. So with our model, we certified the performance across each of these categories to understand if there is differences in how the model performed. Um, and if you look at the paper, yes, there are definitely was um, variations in model performance in certain situations. Um, one gender outperformed the other, one age group outperformed the other, um, and you know the urban populations did better than the other. It is important to go back and systematically look at these results to understand what they mean. Um, are these variances caused due to actual biases, or are they something that is um, ultimately appropriate? For example, um, do seniors um, re receive more care because they're actually in greater need? 
in in opposed to you know adults younger people who are relatively healthier so our purpose here was basically to highlight how there can be variations in the model performance um as well as the need to systematically go back and understand what's causing them yeah i would i would just add to that um as as saranga said we saw in the urban versus rural settings and urban settings we actually saw improved performance metrics in sensitivity and f score which are two accuracy measures and so we need to ask the question any time you see a difference like that you want to ask the question is it real first of all does it exist in the data and if it exists in the data does the data actually reflect reality if the mm-hmm. data actually reflects reality then we need to go that next level and ask what are the causes of these differences and understand whether uh, what what interventions can be made to address that but you have to check at every you know step of that chain to understand whether or not those variances are real or not and you know we've we've all been fooled by very messy data and saranga said it early on garbage in versus garbage out their healthcare data is very messy and i know i'm not surprising anybody when i say that um but understanding the characteristics of your data uh are is essential to getting very accurate uh, output we you know we had an experience i had an experience uh back uh several years ago when a, a student was using syndromic surveillance data public health data to take a look at the differences in outcomes in emergency departments and a student um came to me after 6 weeks of analysis and said Dr. Granis women are much more likely to present to the emergency department with bleeding disorders and i said you're right women are also much more likely to have a uterus um and you know it's understanding your data understanding the background so is that difference real yes it is <laughs> it's in the data that's not a bias in the data um it really happens and so um so we need you, you there there's there's a need for not only a technical but a clinical understanding when we're talking about biases That's a really great point. I I know listeners couldn't see my face, but um I smiled very large when you started talking about that. But I can see where this is going. And that's such an interesting um paradigm as well to me that the data can be itself accurate, but perhaps there is a larger clinical context that also needs to be understood before yeah. drawing any kind of conclusions. Um yeah. absolutely uh, the the science article that came out everybody is probably well aware of that now where there was an algorithm built to predict those people who might need greater uh resources who might need more healthcare uh, uh services moving forward because of their burden of disease well it turns out that this algorithm modeled the bias that was in the data and the bias in the data um related to the fact that um Af- it underpredicted african americans need for future healthcare services and it did that because health african americans it's well known are less likely to seek care for a given condition and that's based on decades of you know issues of disparities and uh racism within the healthcare system 
right, that caused them to be more skeptical. But that model did not identify the African-Americans who needed health care, but it accurately reflected the underlying data. Um, and so that's a, there's a need to, you know, understand the full spectrum from data to the clinical scenario. I, I do remember that science article, and it really does act as an example of drawing conclusions from data that do not reflect a full story or do not, again, include a context of, as you were saying, systemic inequities and racism in the medical system and um, other uh, other factors. And um, I know we only have a few minutes left here, but before we go, I'm wondering what excites you both about the field of public health informatics and how these kinds of models can be used in the future for COVID-19 response and for other public health responses. Uh, the COVID pandemic um, has had a significant impact on everybody's day-to-day lives. At the same time, it has created significant awareness on the need to harness the resources we have, um, the large amounts of data we collect, as well as our health information infrastructure, to um, develop uh, data-driven approaches to help both the clinician as well as the public health professional. Um, we, I'm, I'm excited for the future that this presents to us. Um, what we've started with COVID, I hope that we will see happening uh, increasingly more often across the healthcare domain in response to a myriad of other healthcare challenges. And I hope that that will um, help improve health outcomes for all individuals and all, all challenges. Great. I, I, I would echo what Sarango said very much. And I would just say, I am excited that the cracks have been exposed in our health systems and our public health systems, and that we're showing how advanced analytics, integrated data can, in fact, be a powerful tool for public health to make important decisions, set policy. We are increasingly recognizing the value of these advanced analytical tools. These tools, by the way, which have been around for decades. It's only now that we have amassed enough data and have powerful enough computers to to, uh, proceed with these sorts of analyses. But it's exciting to know that these tools are becoming increasingly useful, in particular for public health and healthcare. And I'm looking forward to better informed decisions as we move forward. Great. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. My pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And to all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and stay safe out there. The power and the promise of personalized health. Learn how AWS is helping healthcare organizations empower patients with targeted individualized care to improve health outcomes and revolutionize the next generation of healthcare delivery. Join us at the AWS HIMSS booth number 1041 for March 15th through 17th and meet with AWS experts to start your digital transformation.